Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Mean, joined by Justin Robert Young. Hello. Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello, hello. And Mr. Bryce Castillo. Hello. Oh, well, so uh, I'm, the, I'm the only, I, like, I started an inflation joke with my two hellos, and you didn't run with it. And I, de- and I deflated it. Well, you fixed it. I deflated it, yeah. Uh, Thanks, uh, Brandon. They, yeah, a, I'm, well, the, I'm the light brand. Let's go, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, light Brandon. <laughs> I come to you now at the turning of the tide. <laughs> so as I was saying... Uh, uh, we're still waiting for the Artemis, the SLS rocket to launch. All right, everybody, and, uh, uh, on the count of three, hold our breath. Three, two, one. <gasps> and breathe. <sighs> Let all that tension out. And then inhale. Yeah. Yeah. And breathe. <laughs> so this is a decades-long project that was supposed to be reported place the space shuttle for giving NASA uh, wholly owned craft for access to space. Of course, wholly owned, meaning literally a rocket that was designed that explicitly said you have to use all of the original contractors for the space shuttle to build this because, you know, it'll be easier to launch and not be a problem yep. and whatnot. And hydrogen, hydrogen is such an easy fuel to work with. So, well, and and, uh, um, I, and I, nothing I, has happened since the space shuttle was decommissioned. Absolutely well, nothing in space. Mm, There's been no advances in rocketry. So, of course, you want to bring the original team back. If because... anybody was building a new system, they would totally use hydrogen because it's just so easy to work it, with yeah. and problem free. Uh, I have a very emotionally complicated relationship with this story because, yes, we Brian, are all. You have an emotionally complicated relationship with the world. Uh, with myself, uh, but the but in a there's part of me that admires any venture that tries to go the hard way or like yes, this is a silly Rube Goldberg experiment, but but uh, I also think it's silly that Jehovah's Witnesses won't get blood transfusions, but there have. But Brian, what if they were your doctor? Well, I mean, look, um, look, I love people trying crazy things. I don't love that this is being done with taxpayer dollars. I love hardworking Americans, but yeah. not, I not do hardworking love, pork like, barrels. Like, like, what if it worked? How kind of wonderfully crazy would that be that they took old spare a parts $2 and cobbled together? dollar per launch vehicle. How how crazy would it be for a $2 billion per use vehicle? How wonderful would that be, Brian? Uh, use it all the time. I'm, I look, I, I'm not defending, uh, but, but also I think we talked about this part too. Uh, this project was started as the space shuttle was being de- decommissioned and we were about to have no, proven choices so if you think of it and and we still don't this is this is what i go back to is uh uh uh, if you think of it as an insurance policy i like crazy as an insurance policy i but really okay so wait if you were getting an actual insurance policy you would want the craziest version of it i mean uh i because uh, it would seem to be the opposite of what you would actually want from an insurance policy. Don't which give me is earthquakes. Safe. Don't give me floods. I need circus accidents. I need meteorite insurance. I need panther insurance. No, you, no, no, no. You're kind of s- selling me on it. Yeah, yeah I no, mean, no, you, you guys do realize. No, no, no. That wasn't my thing. You, that's no, right. No, 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 no. Yo, you think. realize that that's literally what I have. No, 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 no. I no. have, I, I have I my know. primary business, which operates very safely. I have an but, umbrella. But Justin's saying something different. I have business and I have insurance from Clowns of America, so that when I perform fire eating, I've got. You, you just stepped into trap. No, no. But Justin's saying something different. I had to, I had to get a policy for sharks. So this is literally, I had to go find an underwriter to handle. I'm going to be swimming the great white shark. That like, is oh, that is very okay. sensible that's insurance. Safe. That's safe for the moment. That's that is safe. What Bryce is describing is the opposite of what I'm saying, yeah. which is yeah. that you want to cover every base you could possibly have. What I'm saying is wild insurance would be, or crazy insurance would be. Okay, well you have regular insurance, but. 
depending on where the moon is on when you get injured, then you will pay off more or less uh, than it would be well, otherwise. Uh, uh, let me be that's, that's the insurance being wild and not you being safe by covering all your bases. Uh, let, this let, is let, not covering any bases. Let me restate that then. Um, I like insurance that is as far away from the primary as possible. For example, uh, there's only one internet source that we have right here. And during the pandemic, uh, that source was very intermittent. So uh, we made sure that our backup source used a completely different infrastructure. It was very separate and completely independent and less reliable and lower bandwidth. And we had a third place behind it, right? So uh, in, in that regard, I would not want a copycat of SpaceX to be our backup plan uh, I would want something very different from SpaceX to be the backup plan. Because what if we find out what? that SpaceX doesn't work I, again? Yeah. Th this is all you know talking in the past. I, I agree 100% that there is value to saying the government should have its own thing because if either Bezos or Musk didn't deliver those things, when we don't want to be. I guess my issue was like there is a lot of defensiveness from like NASA, some NASA administrators and people about this program and some politicians because like, oh no, this is what the experts decide. Like, no, it was literally decided in a Congress room by some staffers. It was not a thing where really experienced engineers came in and weighed in on it. It was literally made by a bunch of, you know, senators, you know, flackies saying, well, what can we do to protect the people we're already funding right now? Because we really want to reward them. And that's what it was. It was literally most pork barrel yeah, you could no, it, it is it is political favors plus contractors. Uh, uh, that's your challenge. And then a bunch of very, very, very talented engineers and people that work at NASA are going to try to make this work. And so far, they have not been able to. Would it be amazing if they could? Yes. And it would be a credit to them that they were able to make this work. Uh, but they have a hell of a challenge in front of them because they were not put in a position to, to succeed. And that's that's the only thing that that I would say is that let's not think that this was a well thought out or good plan from the jump. And I wouldn't even give it the credit of being far left afield that 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 maybe this is going to be the slower track, but it'll be more uh, uh, stable. It's not. It's less stable. It's uh, uh, less of a a, a pathway that uh, could be a backup to anything that the private companies would do. And it's just been fiercely protected because I think a lot of the people that have made their bones selling rockets to the United States of America feel like this might be one of the last big bites at the apple. So in the situation where we are now with this hodgepodge Rube Goldberg project, very likely quite possibly very likely never going to get off the ground. Um, much, much like a puppy that piddles on the carpet, uh, what is our responsibility as citizens to publicly in the, in the public discourse react to? Do we admonish them for having approved it at the beginning? Do we say bad government, you shouldn't have tried? Or what, what would be the most productive thing? Those are great starts. Um, one is don't, the, the reason we had the first space shuttle catastrophe was because of politics, was that trying to build those solid rocket boosters, the ideal thing you would have built it on site and they would not have had those joints, those seams like they did, but because it had to be assembled in another state because of the pork barrel politics of making sure that money went to Huntsville, Alabama or whatever, they had to be put onto a railroad car and then shipped to Florida, which created a new engineering problem that shouldn't have been there to begin with, thus it blowing up. Um, the plan for the tiles, a lot of these things come back to sort of bureaucratic problems. And, and we have a thing that's not set up for success because it was designed to satisfy a political need and not a space need. So as a citizen, as a, like, listen, enough is enough. Stop spending money. Keep, because it was like, it went through a couple billion over budget and over budget. And it's like probably like $15 billion more than was planned to spend for it. Had we known that price tag in the beginning, we would have done it. And I think you have to have that, you know, that sunk cost fallacy is such a problem because you're like, well, we've already put this much money into it. Okay, so are you committing to infinite money? Are you committing to another $20 billion? What, what is What is a point where you go, oh, no, this is extremely inefficient system? Yeah, and, and, and I totally agree that uh, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, we're all on the same board that, that there were clearer paths to success. Oh, no, I protested when it was started. 
I was a pro- I was against it from the beginning. Sure, sure, but but um, but my point, my 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 question is, um, what is the benefit, or how do we maximize the attention that they're getting for this this impending failure? I desperately want to make it as big and stinky as possible, so this is indeed one of their last gigantic big bites at the apple, unless they start acting right. Like, like they basically the, the cabal for which made money on the space program by way of shoddy contracting to NASA should be done. And this should be the last time that we commit the kind of endless money fountain for them on the back of the idea of American space travel. Uh, uh, there are better ways for which we can go faster, explore more and do everything that makes us feel good about being a leader in space that does not involve them. And I would like for this to be as big and painful as possible. Well, uh, you guys know better than I, but, but isn't as a percentage of the total check they're writing to all of these companies, like, like less than a percent, it's a rounding error, uh, compared to what uh, military contract missile creation. Oh, I mean, if, uh, if like, we're comparing it to the Pentagon's budget, then, then yes, like well, the our, same, our lives the, are a rounding error. If, if, if your point is to embarrass them, I, I suspect the lesson they'll take away is, okay, I get it. Just don't try those public things. Let's stick to those top secret things that involve missiles. I, I get, I mean, well, I mean, it's NASA and it's a different thing and it's a separate sort of way that things get funded. And we could talk about the Navy's lateral ships and that debacle there and the advanced fighter problems and the billions of dollars been wasted on that that nobody cares about or wants to pay attention to, which is a problem. And our, our, the readiness of our Navy beca- because of the same problem the way we handle contracting. But dealing with this here, the problem is, is our goal was to have a practical way to get us back into space. And it started off bad. It started off as an impractical thing. It literally... We were said, oh, this is going to be the practical way to get to space. The real goal, the subtext was, this is a way to keep funding our existing people who support these senators, these lobbyists, et cetera. That's the real goal. That was the real goal. Of what, and it did that fantastically. That's why this program's still going on, because it was literally pork barrel. It was the most pork, porky pork barrel politics you can imagine. And that's what it did. And that's part of the problem is to say it was like, no, your goal was not to build a next generation space system. That was not your primary goal. Your primary goal is to funnel money to these people. And we've been doing it now for over a decade. I think that's part of the problem is, is we don't, we, you know, the, I think the media could do more to call what it is. As far as what we could do, we could get a podcast together and we could talk about it and rant about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if we did have a time travel machine, what would be the same, the same budget that we ended up with now how would you allocate it? And, and none of us get the benefit of knowing that SpaceX eventually was the orbital winner and Amazon was a second place of suborbital and so on. Uh, if we didn't know anything, would, would an X prize be best or, or, well, or f- f- equally it, funding multiple moonshots? If we are going back to when this was approved, if I remember correctly, and Andrew probably knows this uh, 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 more exactly than I do, but... SpaceX even then would have been enough of a reason to say, let's hold off on making this kind of bet right now. Cause they are doing enough that we should like, uh, if we wait a year or two, there might be other options that would radically shift what we would want to do. And, and a lot of this I, was put into motion because of it. And I it, taking SpaceX and, and Blue Origin off the table and just saying that if we said that we want to have something that the government owns because we want to pers- pursue, we could do both routes, one pay contract for access to space, and the other route is let's build our own vehicle. I They've done a number of programs in the past to develop vehicles. There's been a number of programs filing. We've had a better, there are much better ideas that NASA has sitting in their filing cabinets for next generation systems. And the problem was it just wasn't, that wasn't the, they just wanted to fund all the existing partners. They just wanted to do that. And so that's the hard part is to say, you could say like, hey, let's revisit all the other programs we've done. Let's find one that can, we know that's going to have under a $500 million or, you know, $300 million per launch cost. Set a floor on this, a really low floor for what the cost should be. Let some people try to compete with proposals for that. And then basically say, okay, this is a thing that there's only $3 billion in this program. At the end of $3 billion, if we do not meet these metrics and have an outside group weigh that, like that's something too, is like this the SLS, in theory, they should have appointed a group to decide if these metrics were met or not, and then say, no, this is not, this is not proceeding. We got to cut it. But 
the people voting for the funding are the ones deciding to continue to fund it. Uh, uh, so, so if I'm hearing you correctly, um, basically create a ladder where you start at the bottom again, rather than trying to go straight to the top out of spare parts from everything we've done. Well, but, but again, it's not, it's NASA. When you start, I've been watching, I watch these YouTube channels where they get into all this sort of like deep space, pro, like space program stuff. And you realize how many proposals and how many things that they've been looking at over the last 50 years for stuff. And you realize like, Oh yeah, no, here was our fully reusable system. We designed in 1985, but Lockheed said, you know, oh, why build reusable? You won't use it that much. Like a lot of that stuff already been invented, was already there. And not to say this should be a reusable system. It, it was just literally could have been like, we're going to contract for a next generation rocket. Uh, what were the failings of the space of the space program before? Let's avoid that. Hydrogen. Hydrogen is bad. Um, oh, uh, specifically, I, I, I hadn't read the story, but I'm ex assuming from context that yet again, the, the reason the launch was scrubbed was because everything needs to be roughly the same temperature all the way up and down. And while each piece is passing, uh, they, they, they can't seem to get all the pieces at the right temperature at the right time. Yeah, hydrogen is extremely leaky. It is literally the smallest molecule possible. And so what happens is that when you're trying to load it into a system, and part of it, it's like, oh, our rockets were great. Yeah, but it's all the other systems that you have to build from the ground up because the connecting hoses, all these other things, these quick disconnects, a lot of these little details, it's really in the details. And they're like, well, we got these. Another thing, too, that's not paid attention, those solid rocket boosters, they have an expiration date, right? They're already past the expiration date. They keep recertifying it. There's also the batteries in the launch abort system. That's past the expiration date originally. And they keep recertifying that to say, because this has been on the pad much longer than it is. So that's kind of the crazy thing is that like, Dave, like these parts, they've already were like already have extended past the point at which they said, no, this is the limit where you should keep it. And they're like, well, you know, we think it's good condition. We'll keep, keep going. Yeah. There's a the, lot if, of scary. If this is a brewing, a brewing extreme disaster, like unfolding in the moment, then, then I think you've tugged me closer to your side where uh, is the solution to pull the plug on it, to, to demand this, this, this isn't working, it's not going anywhere? Well, it, remember, it, it will never be cheaper than like $2 billion per launch. It will never, the cost of this will never go down. Like shuttle actually got more expensive. It'll never be cheaper than $2 billion. So even in a success scenario, we have a launch vehicle that's basically like almost the entire budget of human space flight every time you want to launch it, um, which that sounds bad. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not pricey. Or, I guess you. I if, would not if like. If you combine that. syllables, you can make anything sound bad. Damn, In <laughs> inflation's <laughs> infecting everywhere. Uh, uh, Andrew, yeah. in your opinion, does Artemis ever launch? Yes, it, it, it's it's we've we've seen that there is no no limit to how much money people will sink into it. And now that people are paying attention to it, people don't really care. They'll hear like dot, 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 cost a lot. Anyhow, uh, it'll launch. It'll launch. And I think we'll probably get a human mission out of it. What that cost will be, what the time frame will be. I hope this launch, I hope they're able to launch it in the next window. They're able to do it. I hope it's successful. I hope the telemetry and all that tells there's no, no problems. Uh, I do worry about astronauts going on it. Because of the capacity for it to it just have something horrifying. Hydrogen, there full were, stop, yeah. There were 100 Falcon 9 launches before a human ever went on board a Falcon 9. 100. Yeah. And it was... But it's only gotten more difficult. I see, but it's only gotten more difficult to go to space, Andrews, is the thing. It's true that. This, uh, this shuttle, it was like it's the 30th mission. Up there. Uh, it's hey, choppy up there. Maybe a lot right, of chop. Right now is a good Big chop. refresher. Uh, I, I, I don't expect you to remember all of this, Andrew, but I suspect you remember it better than me. So Artemis is uh, hydrogen-fueled. Uh, what is, what is, uh, uh, do the SpaceX rockets run on? Because I, I think they're switching fuels for— Kerosene. Propane. The original the, uh, Falcon 9 is kerosene. And then the the Starship is is methane. Yeah, uh, so uh, uh, kerosene is is straight up uh, jet fuels, uh, uh, same thing that runs on a seven thirty seven. Uh, and then uh, uh, methane was uh, an interesting choice. That's part of why uh, the methane reacting with the copper from the engine is why you see that flash of green when you see test firings on on uh, the the Falcon. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully not. That is what they call an engine-rich mixture, where it literally is eating the engine. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about uh, Blue Origin? Uh, the 
the blue origin the the next generation rocket they're going to be the 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 new glenn is going to be a is going to be uh methane as well and then, um, but speaking of blue origin i don't know if you saw them in the news i, I did not well, uh, Blue Origin had a little bit of mishap with their new shepherd. Oh, no. So the new shepherd, uh, this was not with people. This was just, this was flying um, a uh, some equipment. Actually, I have a friend that had a, an experiment on board there. Um, so uh, that uh, had a little bit of a problem. Now, the escape capsule, the part that the, the payload was in, did manage to safely get away. And everybody's like, oh, if you'd been on board, they'd be safe. And they're like, oh, wow, yeah, this looked like it pulled nine Gs. You might have blacked out, but you'd be probably good. Oh, you yeah, know, I, I think uh, this we, is what we, we talked about last week. We looked at the video, but it wasn't clear to us. Uh, why? And, we, we and, and I don't why. think the details had emerged yet, whether or not, um, uh, like, what happened when. Uh, we, we did our, our best analysis of the Zapruder film, but, I, but didn't have much. What, what have we learned I, yeah. over the last week? Oh, I don't know that. Yeah, I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. Um, uh, and good on you guys for covering it. Oh, I don't. Where we were last surprised? week was that we, we knew that it happened. We knew that it looked like they had fired off the, the escape uh, evacuation system, but we it, it had happened so recently we didn't have a reason for why the anomaly happened or, or, uh, whether or any or not explanation. For even the, the, the main stage had exploded or whether or not, you know, just the, the top capsule just... Basically what the hell happened. We, we, we just knew that there was some crazy stuff that looked awesome. Yeah, the telemetry they looked at uh, it appeared that it like went into a tumble, so it may not have been a full explosion. There may, may have been some sort of engine out or some other kind of issue. And so um, basically there could have been anything anomalous. All of a sudden that escape castle is like, hey, I'm out of here. And jit, jit, jit. So there's going to be a big investigation for it. By the way, that is a liquid hydrogen and uh, oxygen uh, propellant for that. So the BE-4, which is the next generation rocket they're building, which is going to power the Vulcan, that'll be... That'll be uh, uh, B4, I believe, is methane. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and it, the, the challenge is that uh, the if you look at the launch history of the New Shepard, um, this was launch number 23, and the last launch, and this, this was a different vehicle than what they had people on, but the last launch had people on it. Wow. Uh, uh, and and thankfully the the capsule itself was okay, right? It was just whatever yeah. happened with the booster. Uh, their, yeah, the boost. Uh, their official update here says booster failure on today's uncrewed flight. Escape system performed as designed. During today's flight, the capsule escape system successfully separated the capsule from the booster. The booster impacted the ground. There are no reported injuries. All personnel accounted for. So so yeah. So it sounds like there was a. Um, some sort of mechanical. Well, that was last fit. week. That was the twelfth. So they don't have any update on other than literally says right front fell off. Um, <laughs> and space is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And for but for Blue Origin, problem is like literally when you're you've been showing advertisements of hey, take our ride into space, take our ride into space. Whoopsie daisy, this one blew up. But hey, you would be fine. You you would be fine. You would be having a little thrill ride. Uh, and it was a different booster than the one we used for the people. And it's like, oh, do you have boosters that you plan to blow up? Right. So, and and uh, you know, just kind of looking around, their Twitter is quiet the past week. It's it is a little it is a little strange that we uh, still don't have an answer. We got we got nothing. We're still kind of where we were last week. <laughs> I guess I guess you can't tweet through it. I guess not, or maybe they know not to. Yeah. That's the that's They're the like, hey, what's going on in the NFL, guys? <laughs> this football's crazy. This football is launching off. <laughs> it's lifting off. We're lifting the. You launch can off. launch off into success, right. uh, both spiritually and financially, if you head to <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/WeirdThings. There, you will experience a Zen for which only the true ancients can describe. You will get the After Things podcast earlier. You will get access to our subscriber-only Discord channel, and you will get updates directly to your inbox, as well as an all-in-one RSS with no login. You heard me right. What? No login at all? No, you don't need any usernames or passwords. Ugh. You just put it into the podcatcher that you're listening to this on right now, set it, 
and forget it. It's just that simple. Patreon.com uh, yeah, slash we, we just trademarked that. We made that phrase up. We own it. Anyone who says otherwise can contact our attorney, Jennifer Walters. That's it. Check it out. Patreon.com slash weird thing. Uh, Rocket Lab had a successful mission. Their 30th mission delivered a Japanese radar satellite into orbit. Uh, Rocket Lab is the kind of the more quieter New Zealand U.S. company. The Peter Beck's the founder of that. And they're... They, there's a lot of space companies out there, but in some of them, there's been kind of a reckoning where funding's been falling through for several of them. And some people have trouble getting into space, but Rocket Lab seems pretty solid. You know, they seem to be doing a pretty good job. Well, and, was you know, it, hats was off it, to anyone. Was it Rocket Lab or somebody else who got in trouble or got fussed at for shooting a disco ball into space? I think that may have been Rocket Lab. Okay, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty uh, sure. Uh, let let me, uh, Andrew, I know you watch this space very closely, uh, but obviously in Silicon Valley, with the slowdown in the economy, there's been a lot of, uh, of VC money that has tightened up and that has made for a lot of cuts at uh, companies that were otherwise growing at a fairly exponential rate. Is that the same for the space companies? Yeah, you've had a number of companies that were trying, that wanted to show results and then trying to go do another raise has been hard because you've had a couple, we've covered some of the mishaps have that have just had just problem after problem after problem and finding money has been harder for them because there are other players. And if you're going to, do you want to keep investing? And if, if in, in, it might just be bad luck, it might say something about the engineering culture of a company if it just consistently has a problem and not to say the engineers are bad, but just for management or something that there might be pushing too much. That's the hard part. And so, Yes, it's been, yeah. it's, 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 been, it's, been it's been tough sledding to continue to kind of uh, uh, stay in this game because this is not a a penny ante industry, right? Like like you need to be in big uh, 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 from 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 the very beginning with this stuff. Yeah, you had like Maston Space Systems, which was bidding on some. I think they bid on like like the lunar lander or whatever and whatnot. Um, and then they had some trouble and they just basically, uh, got acquired by Astrophic. Mm. And so, um, you know, there's been and some called it collision. Oh, wow. That would be interesting if, if, you know, if, if that is part of it is uh, wondering which companies are worthwhile to be acquired by, by larger players in an industry for which larger players are still pretty new. Yeah. yeah. Could, could you, could, could there be big consolidation between a, a SpaceX and a Blue Origin, is that no? Too, is that too big? I, I, I think, I think, yeah. That 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 now now you're dealing with egos of well, <laughs> what? Well, just to, what would what would what would SpaceX get out of that yeah. other than a cluster F? Because you can hire, but if you say if SpaceX works really well, you know, if you say we need more engineers, that onboarding uh, and trying to bring people to speed well, is it, so hard. Well, okay, then flip it. Then could Blue Origin buy SpaceX? What could they cons could that consolidation could the, happen? Could the second richest man in the world buy the richest man in the world's company? In theory, uh, but it would be I, I again mean, the worth point is like, about <laughs> it's 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 they're two very different. Uh, it, there's 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 the product, there's the infrastructure, there's the culture, there's all these other things that go on there, and you'll get like and consider consistently a, a consolidation would work if let's say. Let's say SpaceX just made Starlink, the satellites, mm -hmm. and then Blue Origin says, oh, we want to buy your satellite division and have you make satellites. That's easy because it's a separate building. It's a separate thing. It's just literally now your direct report is here. You handle the accounting. But okay. if you're like, okay, which engine do we have? Do we do the BE-4 or do we do the Raptor? Which one is our priority? And you say, so I would say. Unlikely Hard. at that okay. at that level, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, un unlikely for those companies for all the reasons that were were, were enumerated but there. But to I would... Bryce's point, though, to to Blue Origin coming along to say Rocket Lab, and yes. Jeff Bezos saying, "I really dig what you guys are doing because it's a much smaller company." And say because like within the rumor is within Blue Origin, Bezos was so frustrated with the development that he created a separate team and a separate division to develop in parallel their own rocket system. Which is just just to, up. just to try to shake up his his main product line is to have somebody else go, you know, with with their own stuff. Yeah, build like a separate, which is kind of a warrant. Like if you're like, if I don't trust these people to deliver it, and I'm going to go fund a bunch of money to go build a separate thing that we're trying to compete with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. that seems a little odd, a little yeah. strange.
you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned Starlink, and it uh, it jogged my mind. I I don't know that we've discussed it yet. Uh, a competitor for Starlink, this gigantic like uh, half a football field sized satellite for uh, uh, cellular transmissions. Uh, did you see the story, uh, Andrew? Yeah, I saw the 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 opera, the, the outrage over the yeah rather uh, yeah, the universe today covered it in detail. Fast Company has it, but it's uh, 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 the tweet was talking about uh, hashtag Blue Walker three is this gigantic array of of highly <laughs> reflective stuff, is which, which is what you need for a low Earth orbit uh, cell phone uh, station that could and this is this is the gotcha quote outshine all the stars and the moon at times, which uh, uh, I don't know how, in a world where we've got telescopes uh, that, that, that have unfettered access to all the stars in the sky, I don't know how scary that threat sounds to me these days. Well, we're not astronomers. I mean, I'm not. I don't know. I, I, I'm hesitant to dismiss, you know, other people who have a different way of looking at it. You know who? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I just. Yeah, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Bryce, is that you laughing at how gigantic this thing is? No, at the the the, the comedy being recorded right now. On the oh, I, like, like I'm trying to like I'm I personally am at peace with the idea that this thing might you know rotate and then just suddenly at at at. Two o'clock in the morning, there's just a, a light as though a street lamp turned on over uh, all of these backwoods, and then it goes away. And in exchange, there's incredible cell phone reception happening for, you know, more telecommunications all over the world. Uh, uh, I am okay with that trade because I already assuming get that that's the give back on the trade. Well, which is a thing that we do not know. Uh, correct, but uh, and I'll tell you this much. Um, uh, I derive a lot of joy every time I catch the ISS going overhead. You know, I have a little app that lets me know. And if, 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 if the really far away stuff is stuff I download from the internet and in exchange, I get to see close up stuff that looks cool and shows up at certain times, then that's a pretty special backyard uh, uh, looking at the sky moment. For me, either way, but but then again, I haven't invested millions of dollars Tell me about your pending. Tell me about your pending grab, grant applications for observing <laughs> I, I, objects near. Correct. Correct. Hey, but, Brian. Yes, I know. You know who else really loved big projects like this? I just sent the link to Bryce. I'll tell you who else loves stuff like this. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, oh, I remember reading in, uh, some, some young adult or young teenager magazine about a, there was going to be a celebration of some anniversary in France and they were going to inflate this giant ring of balloons that was going to be as bright as the full moon for a year. And everyone was like, how about no? Ah, <laughs> oh, the French. <laughs> <laughs> Who's excited? Oh, doggone it. <laughs> what's, what's the title there? What's the title on this YouTube video? Uh, it says, Andrew Heaton is a jerk. Uh, Andrew yeah. Heaton? <laughs> oh, sorry. Jesus. Sorry. Wow. I, was, I saw the word Nazi, and I thought instantly of Andrew of Heaton. Andrew Heaton. <laughs> no, it is the Nazi sun gun using the sun to melt armies. So I guess this is a plan by old H-bomb. There was apparently, I mean, uh, how do you how do you even address that the the crazy schemes that came out of the Nazis? Look, man, I had a, just... I had a magnifying glass. I've, there were some ants. Uh, I, I ain't gonna, you know, I I understand. This is from the channel Escape Velocities. So they did a YouTube video talking about there was a plan. The Nazis had an idea for building a giant space mirror to basically, you know, melt people from orbit. There are a lot of technical problems there, and the amount of the amount of uh, amount of energy it would take to put that into orbit, you might as well just use those rockets to, you know, bomb blow people. up. But, yeah. Hey, stand yeah, yeah. still. No. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like I'm they're moving. like, hey, let's build a thousand. Like the Russians got this plan. Like first, we build a thousand rockets. Dot 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 dot. And then like, wait, why don't we just put bombs on the rockets? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, okay, cool. So, 
there's that. Um, I want to change topic completely. I want to show you some new tech. I hadn't seen this before. I wanted to get your take on it. Have you all heard of the Brailleon? It is a an immersive virtual monitor. I have not heard of the Brailleon. Go on. I think I have, but uh, yeah, go on. B-R-E-L-Y-O-N, an MIT spinoff between Lockheed Martin and E14, an MIT-affiliated fund. And so what they built is this sort of deep field display. So imagine something that sits on top of your desk, and then in front of you, it looks like kind of a hooded monitor that's much smaller, but by apparently looking through it, it gives you what appears to be a humongous field of view. So you're kind of looking in it like a, like a like a like a football referee who is looking into the the uh, a review Instant box replay. or whatever. Yeah, you'd be you'd like be sitting here, and this thing would be like here, but it would all of a sudden do this with your hands. Do this right now. And so you're so so for for, for listeners, uh, we are we are kind of yeah we are putting uh, L's in in either side of our face, framing it as if we are about to vogue or surrender. About like an eighteen about eighteen inches apart, you know okay. about this. So imagine everything you see through that, like the field of view, how big your monitor, look how much bigger, how much more field of view you have through there. Uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what it does is it basically uses some like an, a mirror, a curved mirror and some special optics or whatever to basically allow you to look at a display that's maybe 18 inches across. But to your mind, you're looking at something through there that's much, much, much bigger. So instead oh, of thinking, feeling like it's eight inches in front of your nose. It appears to be several feet away and humongous. So, uh, how how close to real and commercial is this? Uh, I mean, they're taking. There's a pre-order button. Yeah, it looks like there's pre-orders. Do you want to get in on that, Brian? Deceptive. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna wait for my uh uh whatever that little. What's the what, what 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 what's the cost, Bryce? If we we're gonna click on it to to pre-order, how much uh, uh, oh, how much is, is a... Brian gonna? He's committing fully to whatever the price is <laughs> right now. He's gonna pre-order it on the on the show. Uh, this so is more the, of a, an email list. An email harvesting, yeah. Brian. It's free. I mean, I might as well just get it get a circle of them. So so it's full three. You've had you've had no recent problems with spam. You should you <laughs> should put your email uh, in another place. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm looking at a number that says maybe four, five to seven thousand dollars. Cough it up, uh, cheapskate. Well. Come on, so you think skin about flint. This. Why don't, why don't me, you get in me, there? Get some skin in the game. Your skin is made of money. <laughs> okay, consumer Bryce. consumer models will be closer to fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, so but let's start at the pro in there. Let's just you just let's not throw it out just yet. You're looking at a virtual hundred and twenty inch display. Hundred and twenty inches, Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, if I mean, you could live hundred and twenty years, you'd be very happy. Imagine that in inches. I mean, a lot of monitors <laughs> look big if you put your face real close to them yeah. and put a bed sheet over. Did, uh -huh. this, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. what's what's the resolution on this, Bryce? What's the rezo? Let's uh, get the res. Resonant. That's a great question. That's a very resonant question. Yeah, because what's the res? I know that they do have uh, 60 and 100, uh, uh, 144 hertz versions. <laughs> Man, that's a lot of hertz, dude. Uh, what hurts in it? Uh, the prototype is a 4K LG LCD screen. Uh, 4K with a 24 by 9 aspect ratio, so very wide. I mean, I like I like what, what I'm hearing. All right, let's go. How, How much? Uh, five thousand? Uh, five no, to ten? He said, he said 1500. No, uh, that was for the consumer basic consumer version. Consumer, will be but you want maybe, the pro. You want you really want what's, to go pro. What's the trick to this tech? Andrew, is is it? Um, it, it you have well, to sit very close to display. It. It's Sorry. using like this curved mirror to like basically create the illusion that it, you're not. It's not look at a foot in front of your face. That it's like three feet away and much bigger. So that's the the, the trick of it is. It's not like, hey, we're going to put a monitor in front of your face like a VR helmet and tell you, ah, isn't this huge? We're going to put a monitor, you know, a foot or so away from you, but you're going to look through it and feel like you're looking through it to the wall beyond, and it's much larger. Have Have you ever? Um... Uh, looked at one of those uh, makeup monitors that uh, or monitors of uh, mirrors that is uh, curved mm -hmm. and and you get this kind of unreal it, it, you know it's meant to uh, uh, magnify everything but you maintain stereoscopic uh, vision so it it, it uh, I, I I would imagine it's a similar kind of thing to that I can stare at those for hours. <laughs>
I'll tell it, you what, this hype video they have, uh, uh, their founders are very mysteriously lit. It Looks makes like, sense to try to do this like virtual large display idea. It makes a ton of sense, right? That's that's the hey, first Justin. thing all the VR things do is like, hey, watch Hulu in a big theater. Yeah. Back up, back up to the the Justin. Do why Rascover. is it is it the founder that looks like me, or is it just another guy who's hosting it? Uh, let's see. We're watching let's the Brelion Ultra Reality Display coming to CES. Oh, I'll bet you this is probably going to be one of the things they talk about a lot at CES. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. that guy did look well, a little like uh, Yeah, so Indian this time. So add, the, uh, that, add that to the list of people people I look like. Or Mac Heshman. The, uh, the value would seem to me, in a world where you can buy a 120-inch, 170 hertz, 4K display, uh, the value of this would be if you, uh, yeah, I don't know, had a bunch of cubicles in an office space, everybody gets that big, rich display without taking up all that real estate, and they get a relatively private uh, display as well. Mm. Oh, sorry, Egyptian, not Indian. Yeah. I, the- Have you watched Yellowstone yet, Justin? No, but there's apparently what? There's an, uh, American, a Native American that looks like me? Just a cowboy. Did anybody watch Yellowstone? Not yet. No, not yet. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, Another you, you one. You found your acting double. I yeah. I just you know I look like a lot of ethnicities. <laughs> it's like a straight up white dude. It's just oh, like, is it? You know. Okay. Oh, good. White too. Yeah. Add that to the list. <laughs> I mean, this is, is that important to you? So Why about, is that important to you? about this monitor, Bryce. Yeah. The, so one uh, of the things what, is like you you can't you can't use it far away. You have to be up close to it because otherwise, you know, you do but that. But most monitors, test. yeah. But but the, the, it is a standard way that we interact with monitors, right? I guess so. But then at that point, like, like if I want a big display, I would want it to enlarge details so that I could see something at a glance. If I'm at an office setting, yeah, having bigger text and good readability is important. But I wouldn't want a hundred to pretend there's a hundred inch screen right here I, I think i think the idea is and what they're betting and i guess we're all going to find out in a few months when ces or i guess no no if it was ces 2020 yeah this uh, was that uh, 20 uh, this was all right this all right then never mind um then yeah uh, i guess it it, it probably uh, came and went but I, I think what they're hoping is the idea is that you are immersed in it and you feel really, really happy that you were looking at this screen to the point where you want to make it your primary situation that it's not yeah. just a gimmick it is immersive on a level that you are are happy about <clears throat> the the big thing for me is sometimes you see really cool image tech and you realize oh yeah you can't move your head like you've got to be yeah. fixed there and that's going to be like kind of the deal breaker on that and by the way i just sent you a link to look at ryan bingham's website and i need you guys to judge this all right tell me if i'm being that's a bearded white guy i mean on a long enough <laughs> timeline all of us look like justin robert <laughs> <laughs> What I think it's think? a character. Should I? Yeah. Wait, hold on. Let me put on I think my it's... glasses. Hey, Bryce, you got any picks? Look at that. Uh, yeah, uh, done. He's got a stronger done. jaw. That's the problem with me. I have a very weak jaw. <laughs> yeah, that's your problem is your jaw is. Yeah. That's your he problem. might have a weak jaw, too. He has a bigger beard, though. Yeah. Anyway, that's the guy. I, I got a pick. What's your pick, pick, Bryce? Are we doing picks? Let's pick it up. Uh, I got a uh, a pick uh, a a video game uh, pick. I I played this uh, last week or so. I finished this relatively quickly. It's out now on uh, a bunch of different platforms. Uh, it's called Toem, T O E M, and it's uh, just a it's just a sweet little game where it, you go around and you take photos and you uh, solve people's problems and you find things to take photos and you can take selfies and. Uh, it's very cute. It's a lot like Hidden Folks. I find it is a lot like Hidden Folks, especially visually, uh, because it's presented in black and white or monochrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it is not very long. I think I got about 100% in five hours, five, six hours. Uh, very, very fun. Music's great. Very charming. Uh, and it's free on uh, PlayStation Plus right now. So. Uh, if you're a PlayStation person, you can get it free there. But uh, is it uh, PlayStation oh. only, or is there a Steam version? Or? No, we got the Steam one here. Uh, it's on PC, and I think it's on the other consoles as well. 
But uh, yeah, tell them. Very cute. It's like a it's it's a it's a cheaper priced game. Uh, commiserate with the size of the game. So cool. Tell them. I got to pick. You got to pick. Yeah. Pick it up. I can't believe that this show still holds my interest because I would not have thought that it would continue to hold my interest. Which is weird because we've been your friends for so long. Yeah. No, I don't understand. Not this show. (sighs) Another show (laughs) that's on Netflix, Cobra Kai. Hey, look, Uh, here's the thing about Cobra Kai. Uh, You watch these episodes and boy, do you know you're going to get a karate fight (laughs) every episode. (laughs) And, and it's, it's become endearing to figure out like how they're going to get, these people to have a karate fight every episode. And I, I really like it. And that I, I was getting a little wobbly on it in, in the previous seasons, because I feel like felt like they were leaning a little bit too much on Daniel LaRusso. They were getting a little bit away from, from a, 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 too much a Kai, not enough Cobra. Well, I mean, you know, it was all Miyagi stuff and it's like, look, it's not called the Miyagi Chronicles. It's not called the, you got a bunch of movies, karate kid. Uh, it's, it's Cobra Kai's time. Uh, but, but I, I think they did a, a really, really good job. Uh, I don't know how many more seasons they're going to be able to squeeze out of this thing, but what, what is, I'm, I'm in, I love it. I, I love this season. It's new. Go watch it. What is the lowest stakes karate fight you've seen in the history of this show? They went, they went to dream karate fights. <laughs> oh no. Uh, when, when one character was trying to confront, uh, confront themselves, they had a, a dream karate fight where they were fighting themselves. Uh, that was probably the first time where it's like, Oh geez, we got to figure a karate fight in here. Maybe, maybe we can exploit this dramatic tension. Uh, but there was also a karate fight uh, uh, with a bunch of there. There's a moment early in this season where a character gets scammed by like some really, really low level scam artists. Uh, and then eventually you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of weird that they just had him get ripped off by these scam artists. And then you realize by the end of the episode where it's like, oh, it's to set up the karate fight. OK, good, good, good. Now, <laughs> now these uh, suspiciously well-built scam artists are going to get into a karate fight. They're jumping off of speakers to the top of the white van. Yeah, it, it is. It is uh, effectively at that level. But I mean, look, the, the, the point of the show is that it's it's lighthearted and uh, uh I mean, if if half of the Karate Kid movies that they are using the lore as if it's the Bible to build these like 12 episode seasons were as good or well written as Cobra Kai, then Karate Kid would have been even bigger. I, I, I love like I haven't seen this season, but like when I liked how unreasonably excited I was that the bad boy of karate would be coming back, you know, that, that like. You know, and the idea that is Hillary Swank going to be in there. There is something yes. funny about like, if you're going to mine nostalgia, friggin' dig deep, go for it, go for it. You know, that's why Maverick was amazing because like the best description I heard was Maverick amount. Um, imagine Top Gun was a better, and Top Gun was a great film, but imagine that it was this masterpiece. Yes. And said, well, how do we follow it up? We need to respect the graphic toss of Iceman, you yes. know, and they did, and it was amazing, and I cried, and so the Karate Kid, it's sort of like, and living in the valley, you do sometimes look at signs and stuff, and you're like, man, this all valley karate tournament, it is everything. Uh, I I will say that I mean, especially now that we are we are in the in in the point of this series that is taking its cues from the other Karate Kid movies. We're at the point where the Karate Kid movies were not great, right? We are at the point where these characters yeah. were fairly thinly written, and and the point was that that all these teenagers were going to go see another film. Uh, they take it deadly serious, and not only is the bad boy of karate Mike Barnes in uh, 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 this season, but there are some other uh, some other cameos in uh, uh, the, the from from the same movie. Can I tell you the biggest regret of my life now? What's that? Uh, go back to the 1990s and a magician named Andrew Maine, who, when he wasn't working on cruise ships to make money, would work as an extra mm-hmm. and uh, got a call one day from a casting agent wanting to know if I could come down because they needed to know how tough I could look because they needed some <laughs> tough guys for the Hillary Swank Karate Kid oh, movie. The next Karate Kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Doesn't feel like my thing. That could have been. I could have been, you know, 
you know, angry, you know, youth number four or something. I, I do wonder how they're going to figure it because that's it's we're, we're, we're at the end of the other karate kid movies at, at a certain point. It's only the next karate kid that they're going to be able to, to take from well, and, Justin, there was a TV series cartoon. There was, and I guess they're also, I mean, Jaden Smith no. and Jackie Chan would be the only other, uh, the only other, uh, yeah. uh those stuff would be, those would, oh man, those would be gets too. Those would be doable gets. That's like in- one very doable. One very doable. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, saying the other one, uh, but yeah. But there we go. Anyway, Cobra Kai, it's fun. It's just a fun, good show that I like to watch. Nice. Uh, hey, so I read a, a book, um, Life's Work by David Milch. Uh, it's his life's memoir, and it begins, uh, uh, David Milch, who, of course, wrote for Hill Street Blues, co-created NYPD Blue, created Deadwood, uh, did a number of incredible projects. It begins with him. Something will take off for him initially someday. Uh, it begins with him explaining that this is a collaborative effort, uh, and he gives his current brain plaque levels because he has Alzheimer's. Oh. Oh, and he man. explains that with help from his wife, his team, and his notes and all that stuff, all of this is his words, uh, and he has periods of lucidity, but he begins with just a, just a heartbreaking tale of, of, of his upbringing and being addicted to not just heroin, but the process of heroin and how it led him to write and uh, becoming a teacher, becoming a fixture of Hollywood, um, how he got sober, how he uh, uh, had opportunities to create Deadwood, the unfairness of, of you know, how, how Deadwood ended so abruptly and the shame he felt, uh, and uh, then ultimately his diagnosis of dementia and then Alzheimer's. And uh, when the Deadwood movie came out, three it was three years after his diagnosis. So everybody on set knew, but it wasn't uh, uh, totally, I think they announced like when they announced the movie, his diagnosis. And um, uh, I went back and watched the beginning of the movie and he talks about this moment that Calamity Jane is uh, 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 drunk walking to uh, uh, Wild Bill's grave. uh, And she begins by saying, you know, you know, here 10 years gone and it's like when she's when the actress said that there was this hitch and all it was as though a spell was cast. And for one brief moment, there was lucidity and time travel and all of these actors were brought back for something truly special. Uh, it's 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 it, 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 it's it's a painful book about creation and the creative process. It's a revealing book. It's honest. Uh, I and. Uh, I, 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 I enjoyed how unpleasant it was. Uh, it's, it's quite good as you would expect anything from David Milch to be. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It is so hard when you think about somebody says a guy as accomplished as him, who, what he's done is amazing, how he's changed TV. And he says, Oh, the, the, he felt shame when Deadwood got canceled, which is like the kind of the normal course of things. And the rest of us are like, uh, I'll talk about this in my pick, but yeah. Um. Uh, 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 real quick about that. There was uh, an uh, article that I read that came out this week talking about specifically like the day that it got canceled. So I don't know how much, I guess maybe parts of this were revealed in his memoir. And so now there's another writer who had done reporting for another book that wrote about it. But uh, apparently it was a fight over whether or not he was upset that HBO was pitching an eight episode season and because he wanted 12 he wanted each one he wanted 12 yeah. and then he was like well screw it we won't do it i'll just do john from cincinnati right and uh, uh and then was like uh, uh oh wait uh i guess they were serious <laughs> I, I thought they would just tell me you could have 12 uh and, and and apparently the hbo execs uh that are interviewed in this article are like we would have given him 12. Like, we don't know why he wanted to like a uh, 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 high road us, but that also sounds like an ex an exec who doesn't want to be credited as well, the guy I mean, who killed I mean, Deadwood. That that's, that's a theme throughout the book is his addiction to gambling, you know, yeah. to, to, to the ponies. Um, mm. You know, uh, he talks about uh, how 
the day of reckoning when his financial advisors uh, sat down his wife and said, your husband has gambled away $25 million. You are $17 million in debt. You owe the IRS $5 million. And uh, they worked on a payment plan because of his addiction. He was put on a $40 a week allowance. <laughs> and, uh, 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 you know, by the time that became public, his family, you know, that had been like three years in the past and his family had reckoned with it. It's, it's very honest and authentic. Um, uh, what I did know is that Deadwood started off as uh, he wanted to write about the story of uh, Paul, uh, uh, somebody who uh, was brought to Christianity and uh, uh, went to uh, uh, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whatever and said, hey, uh, this, is a, this is a good gig. You don't even have to get circumcised. And they were like, go somewhere else. And so he, would go, uh, he wanted to set it in Rome Yep. And 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 have him basically just you know get his balls busted a whole bunch. And uh, HBO says we love it. Unfortunately, we're running we're, a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called we're, we're, yeah. We are currently working with the BBC on right. this show called Rome. And 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 quite literally, David Milt said, "How can I tell the same story? What else do we worship? What else do we worship? Gold." We worship gold, <laughs> and uh, uh, the Old West was a nasty place. And then he read everything he could, and it's shocking how little he changed uh, in the story of Deadwood. Uh, it sounds like, yeah. like, like apparently Bullock and um, uh, Swearingen. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Bullock and uh, Wild Bill oh. arrived historically three days apart, but he took the liberty of having them arrive at the same time. Uh, yeah. It's like, like the fact that it was that close to reality. Uh, uh, and also he says almost everything is written in iambic pentameter and he, he, you know, pontificates on why that is. It's, it's amazing. And that's the other thing is that uh, as somebody who was a huge fan of Deadwood as it was airing is that there is a gigantic climactic end to that chapter in real life of Deadwood that ends in a gigantic cinematic fire. And uh, uh, you kind of always as a fan were like, Okay, we're building, <laughs> we're building, we're building, and then it's John from Cincinnati. Uh, Had a great theme you, song. I just sent uh, Bryce the link to where most of the shooting for Deadwood took place, which is like I don't know, six miles from me. Or he, seven uh, miles. he he spends he spends like half a chapter just singing the praises and and talking about how alive a space it is and and how immersive the experience was and how he would just walk around because his style of writing was quite literally to show up on set and then lay down on a couch and just talk and have people write stuff down. Yeah, it was, I believe at the time that they were shooting the largest immersive set that had been created in, in, in the world. And then they just left it up, which was the other reason why it was like, so insane that, they, that he'd get into a fight over four episodes with HBO. Cause they're like, like, all right, there's a set here, like that's gigantic and dressed only for Deadwood cannot be used. I mean, you could, you could redress it, which I'm sure that they have, but like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The melody ranch. What a, what an epic, epic yeah, place. There is in the book, a fair bit of, I heard this story about me. I don't remember that, <laughs> but maybe it's possible. Tales, tales of an addict. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to listening to it. All right, my turn. Yes, yep. I. So, um, first, sh shameless plug: I do have a new book out called "The Final Equinox." Hey, um, the Theo Craig, Jessica Blackwood book, and it involves a signal from the edge of outer space and talks about UAPs and other stuff, and perhaps a slightly skeptical take. Just saying, and it is uh, very happy to put this out, and I'm in the middle of working on a new book, and. We talk about like different levels and you look at where uh, uh, my wife was talking about something about like there was a, a clip that was like uh, of somebody who was in the Indian film industry, who was the daughter of somebody famous, said that like I had to get my start by working as like, you know, an assistant to this director or this. And I didn't get my choice of this. And somebody who worked their way up from nothing said um, their dream begins where ours ends. And. You know, the, the expression meaning that this person says, I had to start off because I, well, I started off as an assistant to a famous director and somebody else is like, you get to be an assistant to a famous director. You know, I work at Arby's, you know, well, that's kind of awesome. But anyhow, that that's the thing is often yeah. there's always this other level. And so, you know, I've got a book coming out and I've got to write a new book. And 
the thing that you don't want to become is complacent. You don't want to sit there and go, oh, I've got this. I'm good. I can just keep putting these things out. I always want to improve my craft. And I'm very lucky. I get to do two books a year. I'm, you know, in a great place, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, et cetera. Like this book's already at like 400 reviews and it's been out a week. That's awesome. But there's always another level. And so I found myself watching a masterclass last week from uh, David Baldacci, who is an exceptionally, you know, highly talented writer and just a huge high seller. And so like, that's the thing. I saw people like, oh, what's it feel like? And we get this people like, oh, what's it feel like to make it? It's like, there's always another level. And so for me, I'm like, well, I'm going to go listen to this guy talk because, you know, what does he know? And so I'm recommending that. Uh, I think masterclass is pretty cool. I think there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube in general, but sometimes getting, spending four hours in this case with somebody who really knows their craft. I thought the writing advice was really good. It was spot on and he had some insights and he was able to sort of kind of draw circles around things, which I thought was really well done. Uh, He also talked about something which is kind of interesting, which I always wondered. When you get to his level, when your books, you know, I've sold over a million books. He has books that sold. He has individual books that sold over a million copies, right? And when you're at that level, when you're a James Patterson or a Stephen King, I always thought like the publisher gives you like 15% of the cover price or whatever. I'm like, is that, does that apply to them? Like what happens to them? And he described basically what he did once he was this huge, he had the hard, largest advance ever, a $2 million advance for his first book. But he said that once he proved he had a track record of sales, again, proved he had a track record of sales, he went to the publisher and is like, all right, I want you to lay down what all your costs are, what it costs you to edit, all this, all these sorts of things, et cetera, dot, 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 dot. And we're going to draw that number down. Okay. And then we're going to take the total pie and we're going to deduct that from it. And then we're going to split it. And half so Eddie, he half <laughs> Eddie. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> and so wow. to, the editor, because the publisher's like, yeah, you guys maybe spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and maybe you're going to spend this much on promotions. So it's fine. Put that down. I want, you know, I want you to take that, you know, we'll take that out of the total amount. Then I want to keep half of this. And so that's insane. You got to wonder and that's when, a whole- when, when that's at the high end, you know, that, that that is that is an yeah. interesting an interesting story for for publishing. Well, that's because... that's a bad music contract. <laughs> that's how good. That's how like it sits. Like that's how a like recouping like album deal would be. Uh, and those are well. I he's an attorney. I'm sure there's sure. A, enough you know accountability in there. No no no, no, say, no 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 no. I know. I think yeah. I think that's that Bryce is saying that for the publisher. That's that's a. That, that, oh yeah, yeah. That that's that yeah. that is that is a very talent friendly deal. Yes, that yeah. is that is a a you know especially yeah. when you know that there is going to be X amount of sales to say no, you're I'm not going to let you do any funny accounting. Uh, 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 we're going to we're say what your budget is to process stuff, and then let's split it down the middle past that. That's- and to have that and like Patterson, James Patterson, and Stephen King, they've got that kind of weight too, which I thought was oh, like yeah. I'm sure J.K. Rowling. That's a thing too because you look at like oh well, you know they're making fifteen, they're making three dollars per book, da 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 da, and it's a million. Like well, no, actually, Andrew, like, you know they could be making double or triple depending. You know it's a. Then when you get into digital, when you get into that, that's one of the things that was really the screwiest things ever. Is like I have early ebook contracts with other publishers where I was getting a fraction of that purchase price, and I'm like. Your costs are nothing. Your costs, yeah. you don't have to print, you don't have to warehouse, you don't have to do anything. This sort of seemed to me like a little bit egregious because it was just like they were just really well, screwing and, over and authors, in my opinion. For those mega stars, I mean, the alternative, if if the publisher doesn't want to take the deal, nowadays it's not it's 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 not a discredit to just launch your own Im- imprint where it's like uh, I, you, yeah, you could, but you just go find another publisher. You just, you just, you would just take that deal to another publisher, not have to hire, not have to, you know, put on a staff and do that. Because you could find another. There, there are a lot of publishers that uh, I would see. I would see. Yeah, it would seem the like there's a writer's like, market. Because if you're like, okay, I need to have the person that talks to the person at Barnes and Noble to make sure they're going to do a five hundred thousand buy and it's get there. It is. You're right, Brian. You could, but it's like for that level, you're, like, you're just. Like I, I made my decision Amazon publishing because like I'm eBooks. Like I don't, you're not going to see my books in a, a bookstore or a hardcover. It's not going to happen um, because it's just I knew where my audience was. But if I was at the level of James Patterson and I wanted all that, then yeah. Do you feel like the masterclass touched on much of this stuff? 
Well, yeah, that was where David Baldacci flat out said, this is my deal I made of my public. I'm like, oh, yeah. this is really cool. This isn't, this is like a, you know, a very, I don't know how helpful it would be to anybody watching that class because first sell as many books as David Baldacci. <laughs> yeah. You know? But it's good to know. <laughs> but it's it, it's it, good it, advice. It, it's good yeah. to begin with the ending in mind, you know, to, to know what you, to, to know what, if your ask is, well, that would be appropriate for Stephen King or David Baldacci, but maybe not appropriate for so, your first novel. Yeah, and somebody, uh, Princess Delirium pointed out fairly so, to Brian's point, Brandon Sanderson went straight to Kickstarter. Um, I would say that 90% of Brandon Sanderson's audience knows what Kickstarter is. Yeah. Where uh, Patterson or Baldacci, they, they wouldn't know what that was. Yeah. And I did well there, but the Sanderson was, one, Sanderson is an exceptional writer, exceptionally high output, is at the conventions, is a super engaged guy who's very active and engaged with his audience. People have met him, people know him, whatever. He 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 checked off every single thing you would need to do to to make something successful. And for those of you that know, Brandon Sanderson did something like a $40 million Kickstarter. 41, for 42 his book series. or something? It was, oh it was bonkers. No yeah. autographs. <laughs> no yeah, autographs. Yeah. And, and understandably Hero. so. And what, a, I, what a Chad. <laughs> I I was just in awe because I just I just feel like it's not something I would ever be able to do. I but I love the fact that I live in a world where somebody who's that talented, that hardworking, and gets it is able to do a forty one million dollar Kickstarter. Wow. Yeah. And Good we'll see him. and we'll see, right? Because they're shipping next year. So we're we're close to uh, people actually getting their uh, getting their books. Without yeah. autographs. <laughs> yeah. Love him. I love him so much. Yeah. Gentlemen. Ooh. It's been weird. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. 